Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Numbers. We're going to be walking through portions of chapters 13 and 14. And if you come to Numbers looking for, and they live happily ever after, that may be the wrong book for you, as we're finding out walking through this passage. Um, We're going to soak in a familiar story where Israel sends out spies for the promised land, and ten were bad and two were good. As you turn there, I invite you to, to pray with me. And as I turn to prayer, just a reminder, some of you may not know that we have from our midst, we have Josiah Hole, we have Reen Sykes, and Jacob Sykes are going to be serving this week with Royal Family Kids Camp, a, a, key, a camp that works with uh, children out of uh, foster care uh, and adoptive families. So to give these kids uh, a wonderful summer camp. So we'll be praying for them, and I invite you to pray for them throughout the week as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word, which is living and active. Open our eyes and ears that we might receive what you have for us in your word, that we might be drawn and made more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. In that, we pray for those who are serving you in various capacities. We pray for Josiah, for Reen, for Jacob, and all those who are volunteering their time, giving of themselves to pour into children who need Jesus and need to hear of his goodness, grace, mercy, and love. So I pray you would strengthen and uphold them in that work. Now draw near to us, strengthen us in this work as we receive your word. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now if you're my age, a little bit older, a little bit younger, you know the song about this passage, don't you? Ten men went to spy on Cain and ten were bad and two were... Okay, right, there's a few of us. What did they see when they went to Canaan? Ten were bad and... All right, so there you go. We just aged ourselves, right? Who's ever... This this is the song about how do you remember this passage. Well, we make up songs. But let's look at this passage for ourselves here, verse thir- or chapter 13, the first couple of verses. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a chief among them. See, God had freed his people from Egyptian slavery, and he's freed them in order to possess The land of Canaan, where they would build a house for his name. He would establish them as a new people, a new community. This is the land that Abraham journeyed to and he journeyed through. This is the the land where Isaac and and Jacob and all of his offspring, they, they dwelt. They never possessed it in its fullness. See, God delivered the people from Egyptian slavery through miraculous signs and wonders, right? And then he led them through the, the waters of judgment uh, to, to uh, Mount Sinai where he gives them his word. He leads them by fire and by cloud of his spirit. And he gives them priests to serve in the house made for his name. And so following that, we find Moses and company. Now, they're on the very the, the edge, the verge, the, the boundary line, ready to go into the land that God promised to give to them. And so Moses says, hey, send 12 men, one from each tribe, chiefs from each of the 12 tribes. Go and search out this land. The names Joshua and Caleb are familiar, but the rest are somewhat mysterious. So we don't read all of those names here this morning. But why? Why is he sending out these spies? Well, we see in it that uh, they're looking to see if the land is good. And they're also, in a sense, counting the cost of obedience to God's word. They're going to see if this land is indeed inhabitable, if it's good, and to see what it will cost to follow God's word. So we're going to skip down to chapter 13, verse 17. It says, Moses sent them out to spy out the land of Canaan. 
He said, go up into the Negev and go up to the hill country, see what the land is, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and so on. Moses commanded them to go and see if the land is good and to count the cost. Jesus invites all who would follow him to count the cost as well. To behold Jesus in his beauty and glory, it is enough motive to see him clearly that we might submit to him, to to worship him in all of his glory. But when it comes to sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings, of of dying to ourselves day in and day out, of, of warring continually against sin and against the devil, is it worth the cost? Because that's a high cost of following Jesus, of giving our entire lives and our entire being to him. He doesn't mince words. His own life is a testimony to submit to his way is to endure suffering. But we endure suffering as those who hope. The land is good. But what could it cost? They see good things in the land, but they also see strong and warring tribal peoples. What do the people find there? Verse 23, it gives a bit of a report. They, the spies, came to the valley of Eshcol, cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, And they carried it on a pole between the two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. That's a big cluster of grapes. Isn't it? That's a big cluster of grapes. There's no such thing as a free lunch, though, right? That's what the old saying is. No such thing as a free lunch. Here they just take a tree's worth of grapes down with them. It's, the land is, is bountiful. It's fruitful, flowing with milk and honey. It's beautiful. If you look across this, the landscape of our country, we see Old Faithful and all of its goodness and glory, the Rockies and the majesty, the amber waves of grain. All around us now we have center pivot irrigated cornfields. Is there anything more beautiful than that? Orchards, nut farms. It's good land. And the initial report from the 12 spies is, It's good land. Look at verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying the land. Verse 27, they told them, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit, and they display the fruit of the land. It's very good land. It is pleasing in our sight. All is well, right? Well, the very next word from their mouths gives us pause. They just said the land is great. What's the next word in verse 28? However. However, verse 28 and 29, the people who dwell in the land are strong. Cities are fortified and very large. Besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, Amorites, the the dwell in the hill country, the Canaanites. They dwell by the sea along the Jordan. To translate that for you, It's walking into Husker Memorial Stadium, and who do you see? The Buckeyes. The Badgers. I mean, Northwestern, for crying out loud. I've got a map of what this journey looked like for them. It's a little bit blurry. My apologies. My eyesight's not too good. Just kidding. That didn't make any sense. They started down south there, and you can see the spies. If you look at this map, it's 150 miles from the beginning of their journey all the way to the top. Okay? And there's a lot of green there. What you wouldn't see is that there's a lot of brown there as well. 
lot of desert land. There's a lot of hills. There's a lot of plains. They would see as they traversed this country for 40 days, they would see hill country and plain. They would see desert oasis. They would see hospitable people and hostile people. The ten come back from this 40-day journey with a cluster of grapes and other fruits and veggies. And they say, it's a good land. However, however, what this 300-mile round trip revealed to us, good land, dangerous people. You can take that down. Thanks. It's good land, they say. However, there are people who would delight to kill us. Let's run away. Caleb, his name means faithful or courageous and bold. Caleb speaks up in verse 30. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses, said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Come on, says Caleb. Don't listen to these others. It's good land. There are people there that will harm us, but we can take them. Let's go. God promised to give us this land. Let's go. But then the others speak up, contradict him vehemently. Look at verse 31. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land. They had spied out, saying, The land though which, through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people... That we saw in it are of great height. They go on to say, we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers before them. It's a bad report is what the Bible tells us. It's almost as if the, the, the ten are saying, well, you know how easily we stomp out grasshoppers from their existence? Well, we are that grasshopper. Should we go into that land, we will be stomped out. And the cancer of doubt spreads rapidly. See, the people saw the land was good. And they began to count the cost of what it is to inhabit God's word, God's promise, to take that on. The cost was high, and the people doubted, along with the ten spies. Verse, chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. All the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or... Would that we had died in this wilderness. Remember last week's sermon? <laughs> That's the exact same refrain that they were singing last week. Verse 3. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives, our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? They said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. The reader will say, but God promised to give them this land. Caleb, and, and we'll see that Joshua are giving this report that we can do this. God said he would give us this land. God has commanded us to go into this land. Don't rebel against God in your grumbling. Why the doubt then? Well, I mean, we can relate, can't we? We can relate. It's one thing when you receive God's promise and you've seen him Deliver through these majestic plagues. He defeats Pharaoh and it's his captors, right? It's one thing to walk in the promises there. But what about when suffering and hardship enter in? Believing God in comfort while we're flourishing is different than believing God in the heat of battle. And we're in sorrow, anxiety, and fear. See, what we have here, the spies, they're using the serpent's lie, but it's the inversion of it. What would the serpent say? Surely you will not die, right? But what are the spies saying? 
surely we will die. They clearly lose grip on God's promise or his word, which leads them to reject God's provision and reject God's prophet. Their line of reasoning is pretty logical. Surely our leaders care not for us. Look at our wives, our little ones. They're going to become prey for the enemy. Pharaoh it was rough to deal with, re- unreasonable at times. And Egypt was certainly no picnic. I mean, we were slaves there, but we were alive. Moses is surely leading us astray, surely leading us to our death. It sounds like the golden calf incident at Sinai. It sounds like echoes, or we hear echoes from last week's sermon with the grumbling wanderers. It sounds a lot like what Jesus faced as he came to save the people who then reject him. So God seems here to reach the end of his patience. And he says in verse 22, the second part, he says, You, Israel, have put me to the test these ten times, have not obeyed my voice, perhaps symbolizing a complete disobedience. He doesn't list out what those ten times were. But he says, ten times you've tried to flee from my presence and return to Egypt. Chapter 14, verse 6. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, uh, who were among those who had spied out the land. They, what did they do? They tore their clothes and said to the congregation, the land which we passed through to spy it out is exceedingly good. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land. Give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land. They are bred for us. They bring a good report of strength, of courage. It comes from the lips of the two spies, Caleb and Joshua. They speak confidence that God will provide as he promised. And what is the reward for the prophet of God who speaks his truth? We see at the end of verse 9 and 10, that the congregation with one voice wants to stone them. That's the death penalty for those who are apostate, who want to run from God's presence. Verse 11 through 12, the Lord then speaks to Moses. How long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs I have done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than them. Okay. God's wrath is burning hot. What do you want, people? We want Egypt. You want Egypt? I will let you go your own way. Last week, our wanderers wanted meat, didn't they? Remember that? How much meat did God give them then? It was coming out their nostrils. He gave them over to their heart's desires where they feasted in abundance, in overabundance. Here, these Israelites want to live as Egyptians, as enemies of God. And so God gives them over to their desires. And he gives them over to plague, where they find death, the same death that God's enemies endured. Wanderers will be wiped out. God will instead, he says, make a nation, one greater than Israel, but now he's going to work through Moses. But then Moses steps up here, and Moses reminds God, as it were, that he put a rainbow in the sky not to destroy the world. He made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph that he would not destroy them, but would save the world through them. He speaks to God face to face, reasoning, pleading. You cannot wipe out this people, 
O Lord. This is the prophet in the council of the living God. And here's what Moses says, verse 13. Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for you brought up this people and your might from among them. They will tell the inhabitants of this land that they have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. You, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them. You go before them in a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people as one man, then the nations will have heard your fame, who have heard your fame will say, it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give to them, and that he has killed them in the wilderness. Moses pleads for God to relent of his wrath, to not destroy the whole people, to forgive a people in rebellion. And what is the basis for this? Moses points out that God's reputation is at stake. Remember, prophets are welcomed into the counsel of God. And in the mystery of his economy, he speaks to the prophets and they speak to him. He hears them and they hear him. He listens and he responds. Last week, we saw Moses pleading for the Lord to end his life, but God does not answer that prayer, but instead provides what Moses needs. And here, Moses is pleading with God, plainly, boldly, don't wipe these people out. If you wipe out this people, then all the nations will laugh. All the nations will mock, deny your power, saying that that's God freed these people in order just to kill them in the wilderness. What God is that? God's prophet speaks boldly, plainly in the counsel of the living God, and God responds. Moses continues to plead mercy, not only on the basis of God's fame or reputation, but on the promise of God's word. When it comes to verse 18 and following, what Moses is doing is he's praying God's word back to him. These words are what, Moses, what God gave to Moses at Mount Sinai. As he promised to Moses a further deliverance, a security in the land of Canaan. So Moses prays back these words in the council of the living God saying this in verse 18. The Lord is slow to anger. Remember God? The Lord is abounding in steadfast love. Do you remember that? Forgiving iniquity, transgressions, but he will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have now forgiven this people from Egypt up until now. Moses prays God's promises back to him. God, you are rich. You are patient, overflowing in covenant love and in faithfulness, rich in forgiveness, full of mercy. In pleading forgiveness and mercy, the prophet of God's people, who is Moses, is confessing the iniquity of God's people whose only hope at this point is the prophet of God, bending the ear of God, pleading the promise of God. This Moses is the one uh, who, this, this Moses that is pleading for them. Remember just a few verses earlier, what do they want to do? Let's get rid of Moses. Let's elect a new leader and let's go back to Egypt. And yet Moses intercedes for the enemies of God. He was rejected by men, and yet he lives to intercede for them. God hears, God responds in mercy, love, and forgiveness. That is his very nature. Verse 20 and following. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men whom have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times, have not obeyed my voice, none of them 
shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. There is forgiveness of sin. God says, I have pardoned their iniquity. Is God slow to anger? Well, it doesn't feel like it right here, does it? But he's just said for ten times they've been testing him. They've been rejecting him. He's relented. He's relented. He's relented. According to the word of God's prophet, God has pardoned these, those who have been rejecting him. It is that while they were yet sinners, right, dead in trespasses and sins, that God loves them, sacrifices for them. What words of comfort and hope erupt from Moses' mouth? The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and praise, loving, forgiving. But it also says what? That he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children. There is forgiveness of iniquity. There is forgiveness of sin. But there are also, there's fruit of sin. There are results of rejection or rebellion against God. So God comes with fire on the fringes and plagues on the periphery as he did last week. And here we see his wrath burn hot once again even as his mercy and grace are on display. Verse 27 speaks of this wrath. How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness. And of all your number listed in the census, from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come to the land where I swore that I would make you except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones who said to you that you would be, they can pray, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. And they lived happily ever after. Right? The wages of sin is death. The people want to return to Egypt. And what would they find in Egypt? Leeks and onions and death. God promises that for each day of the spy's journey, his people will wander as shepherds in the wilderness. Forty years, and the generations who have rejected God in this will be wiped out. Their children, their, great, their grandchildren, great-grandchildren, they will too wander with those families in the wilderness those 40 years. The wages of sin is death. Adam and Eve lived the remainder of their lives east of Eden. So our sin bears fruit, and we bear throughout our days that which even our children reap a harvest from our sin, from our failures. This is the outworking of sin and rebellion in the life of the community. This is not a petty, vindictive God seeking to get even with those who have rebelled against him. This is justice. Ten times the people have desired Egypt over God, so brokenness in families tends to perpetuate for generations, doesn't it? Addictions tend to transfer from one generation to the next. Now, each is accountable for his own sin, yet the sins of the others affect the entire community. So that in God's forgiveness, judgment still falls. Verse 36 through 38, we come towards the end of this story. And the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land. The men who brought up a bad report of the land, they died by plague before the Lord. Of those men who went to spy out the land, only Joshua and Caleb remained alive. See, these spies rejected God and his word, and that rejection spread like cancer throughout the people. They trusted more in Egypt than in the God who delivered them from Egypt. 
They want to go back to Egypt. And so if we traced out where the people are sent now, God sends them back through the Negev towards the Red Sea. He says, you want to go back to Egypt? I'll take you as close to Egypt as you want. And then he begins the journey through the wilderness for 40 years. Those who wanted to become like Egypt, their hearts were hardened as Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And they will die like the Egyptians by plague in the wilderness. And those who are freed from sin's bondage are yet cursed to wander in the wilderness. A 40-year journey. And that 40-year journey is a type of dying. I want us to see that. The 40 years not only served to wipe out an entire generation, but what was it like for those younger generations? Every day, every month, every year in the wilderness was a type of dying to self. A type of dying to that desire to go back to Egypt. Oh, the wilderness is hard. The wilderness is the way of death. But the wilderness is also the way to the land promised by God. That was a journey that will claim everyone that is older in the, in the older generation except Caleb and Joshua. Even Moses, Aaron, and Miriam will die in the wilderness. Which is why this passage and others like it throughout Numbers and, and other passages there, the, the book of Hebrews reminds us of these accounts and of these passages. Speaking of a similar passage to this one, the writer to Hebrews warns the followers of Jesus in his day and for us today. He says, today, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If God has spoken, if God has promised, and you've heard his voice, do not harden your hearts. What's the most common word throughout this passage? They grumbled. They grumbled. And they grumbled. Right? If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That grumbling is more than a complaint or a lament. It's not saying that we can't ever argue as Moses does with God. The Psalms are replete with complaints, with laments, with addressing God in our pain, our sorrow, our fear, anxiety. That's what the Psalms are a lot about, right? But this kind of grumbling that they say, the, the, the Caleb and Joshua say, what? this is not just complaining. It is more than that. It is a rebellion against the living God. It is a denial of his good character. Ultimately, it is a rejection of God. Would we have done differently? 300 miles in the wilderness, and we've got some grapes and figs and pomegranates to show for it. These are great. But remember the Amalekites, the Jebusites? Well, probably not. I mean, giants and superior warriors are scary things for sure. So if this story is our story, we do well to acknowledge our weakness, to acknowledge that we are prone to turn from God's word of promise. Even though God has sent a better Joshua into our midst, a better Caleb into our midst, this one is given as the very word of God, not only speaking words of confidence and truth, but he is the very word of God. See, we worship a Joshua, don't we? That's what Jesus' name means. It's Joshua. We have another deliverer who has come in the same vein as Joshua. He has come to deliver a people from their rebellion and sin. A better Joshua has come. And we live in Jesus with, as a better Moses as well. Because he lives now to intercede on our behalf. 
In the same way that Moses was pleading with the Father face to face. So now we have Jesus, another Moses, but he is risen now to ascend into the presence of the Father. And this Jesus speaks face to face through all eternity. God's true and final prophet, eternally in counsel with Father and Holy Spirit, pleading God's character, his fame throughout the world. This is our story. This passage is our story of grumbling, of sin, of death. It is our story of redemption as well. See, this chapter of Israel's history ends with the people. They refuse to go into the land. They want to go back towards Egypt. But at the end here, they're convinced, okay, let's go to the land. But they go without God's blessing. God says, you're going to wander in the wilderness and say, we're going to go instead what we should have done in the first place. And they die in that venture. Because in so going, they are rejecting God's word and his way once again. Now, there's a chasm of difference between what we read for the lives of Israel here in this story and our lives today. We have to admit that at least. But the story of sin, of wrath, of redemption, it's our story as well. It takes different form, but it's the same story. Now we don't wage war with nations to possess a land because Christ has already conquered. All of the earth is his. Our vocation, rather, is to redeem what Christ has won. To work in the spheres in which God has placed us. To reconcile all things to him or to God through Jesus Christ. We are called to a life of renewing. A God-honoring life in our families, in our neighborhoods, throughout our church. To saturate ourselves with his word and his promise. To walk confidently in a world which is at enmity with God and his word. In a world that rejects the promises of God. See, we too face the temptation to go back to Egypt. To hear God's word and say there must be a different way. There must be a better way. We will face temptations to conform to the cultural moment, to feel God as absent when we wander in a threatening wilderness. But we are those who count the cost of following Jesus. We are those who enter the wilderness with our neighbor, with our brother, with our sister. And we trust that he is with us, no longer in a pillar of fire or a cloud to lead and guide, but he leads us in Christ through his spirit. And he promises his people to protect and to provide. See, at the story, we're reminded that Moses led his, faith, his people so faithfully over the years, and Moses died before entering the land. Caleb and Joshua, they held fast to God's word, and they led with courage and strength, but they too died. And Jesus has come to lead. Jesus has come to conquer. He has remained faithful, and he has indeed risen, and now he lives to intercede. The confidence we have for redemption in and through this passage is not in a Moses, a Joshua, Caleb, but in Jesus Christ, who now sits at the right hand of God the Father, who speaks face to face into the Father's ears, saying, this is my beloved brother. This is my beloved sister, my beloved child. In my death, you promised them life. In my death, you provided for them deliverance. It is the same voice that speaks into those words in the Father's ear that now speaks to us, his people, and says, Come to me, 
all you who labor and are weary, come to me and you will find rest. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word, and now we entrust ourselves to you, that you would care for us, provide for us. We rest in your promises through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.